North Otago. It's rich in history and strong in character. And you have found the podcast that celebrates all that is good within our district. Join Gary and Damien every week as they either interview a legend or someone who is putting North Otago on the map yet again. North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a bit of history. The name says it all. Well, welcome back. I don't know about you, but all week I've been waiting to hear part two on uh, Wynn Stevens. So if you're tuning in, you've got us here at uh, North Otago Legends, Up and Comers, and a little bit of history. So Gary, just before we go any further, um, what's our target? Who are we aiming for? And how do people nominate someone? We're, we're looking to uh, talk to people who either are local legends, as it says, so who've uh, been involved in achieving something pretty uh, special. Um, people who have been born here or have lived here a reasonable part of their lives. Um, we're looking at people who have been involved in some of the major things that have happened in the past, you know, whether that's, um, you know, we've covered off uh, someone who was involved in building the, the rail bridge over the Waitaki. Um, so people who have achieved those sorts of things. And then the up-and-comers part is you know, just young people who are out there achieving things and, and doing some pretty cool things. Yeah. So our goal as as always is, if anyone can get us Richie McCaw, and we'd love to interview him one day, we can phone him up, we can go visit him. Um, so whoever that is, there is a prize. Um, last week, guys, or another week, I said they could have your job for a day. Maybe they could have my job for a day. Would that be... I, that I, I think we need to reward them, to be yeah, fair, rather yeah. than punish them. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I think a box of chocolate fish. Uh, Bo- box of chocolate fish, yeah, and um, that'll be cool. So if you know anyone um, that's a local legend, they could could have done anything. They could have just something interesting. Um, drop us a line. There's an email there on the Facebook page. Just email us with their name, your name, contact details, and we'll see if we can make that happen. So we're looking for North Otago legends, up-and-comers, and a little bit of history. You just don't know who your neighbour is or what granddad did. So ask yep. everyone. So getting on um, onto today's um, topic again, or back to Wynne Stevens, who we talked to last week. So where we left things off, um, Wynne and the the, uh, the the rowing four, as part of the rowing four, was off to Some the games. Some call them the Fantastic Four, Gary, the Fantastic but they're known four. as the Omri Four. Yeah, copyrighted yeah. to Marvel, apparently. So um, they'd been off. They'd gone off to the games. Rusty Robertson had um, managed uh, to sneak in and uh, cause a, bit, a wee bit of mayhem along the way. Um, but obviously, was you know a real big part of that team. Um, but yeah, get, getting to the games and so on. Uh, when you know you obviously uh, four young men um, plus your your uh, your coxswain. Um, so what what happened uh, back home? You know you, you left family behind and so forth. Um, did you have girlfriends and things at the time? What what uh, what did you leave behind? You know who did you need to send? Uh, you wouldn't be emailing. You would have been sending letters and things to. Yeah, well, of course there was no emails in those days. Um, I'll come back to that when we actually came back to New Zealand after the Games because that was an integral part of um, the... um, We'll come back to that. You'll just go. We'll go back to the... um, when we actually got to the Games and, of course, we flew um, in an Electra from Auckland to Perth 
And I don't know, um, some people will remember what an Electra was, but it's a four-engine turboprop plane. And I'll tell you what, we were doing hurdle races down the seats because we had everybody in the plane was super, super fit. And to be locked up in an aeroplane, we stopped in Melbourne and, of course, they wouldn't let us out of the thing as they refueled it because I think that they realised they'd never get us back into it. <laughs> so, so when we finally landed in, in Perth, you know, we were just about ready to climb up the um, the watchtower. <laughs> yeah, so that was um, that was pretty hard case. But anyway, we finally we um, we ended up in Perth, and and um, the <clears throat> I suppose the euphoria there. We were all put into buses, and we were being taken to the village, and the the village was quite close to the um, the Indian Ocean, so it was right at the opposite side of Perth from where the rowing course. And the rowing course was actually on the Canning River, not on the Swan River, which a lot of people thought it was on the Swan. Well, the Canning's a subsidiary that runs into um, <clears throat> into the big river. But anyway, um, so every day we went to training. We had about an hour and a half bus ride to and another hour and a half to get home again. So it was a mission to um, to get our training done. So um, <clears throat> that was um, really all part of the build-up. So, um, <clears throat> and as I mentioned, um, with the um, the New Zealand coach was Eric Craze, and Eric, um, lovely man, and um, but he had um, not the best eyesight in the world, and uh, we um, <clears throat> we weren't allowed to look at him when he'd start us racing against his four, and this was the the whole, the pair, the the double, the single. We all would do these starts. And um, we were getting pretty good at the starting business because we were having so much practice. And, of course, we clip his, his eight over the first 500 metres. Well, it just about drove the man nuts because four shouldn't be able to hold their own with an eight over 500 metres. But anyway, that was great for us because <clears throat> we were full of confidence and um, that was it. So... Um, and the people of Perth were, um, they were very, very generous in looking after us. So um, <clears throat> they, um, anywhere you went, they were only too happy to talk to Kiwis. So that was all part of it. So anyway, we finally, we got round to the big day and um, the um, we were, I think, in the second day of the Games. We had the opening ceremony and that, that was quite an occasion because it was pretty well pumping 100 degrees. So um, today, of course, most of the competitors that are competing um, first up, they don't even get to go to the opening because of how much it's going to take out of their body. But anyway, we're all guinea pigs at that stage. So um, the big day came and away we went out to the course and we'd certainly trained, you know, we knew the Canning River pretty well. And the only thing that was a bit of a challenge was if you got a um, the wind coming on the bow of the um, of any crew, it was pretty hard work because invariably, I think they called it the doctrine, it came on on the stroke side, so recovery was just plain hard work. And sure enough, that day we had the wind coming in on the stroke side in the front of the boat. So that um, that became a challenge in the race. But anyway, we got the, and the betting. See, Australia, um, they knew that the New Zealand eight, they thought was going to be the eight that was to win. And um, the Australian four, they um, the Australian four had beaten the world champions only a matter of um, three months before the actual games. 
So the dough was an, an Australian's bet. Whether you're a competitor or a spectator, they put up the dough. And, of course, we were just sitting there thinking, well, holy cow, what's going on here? Because um, <clears throat> the um, the money was definitely all on the New Zealand 8 and, and on the Australian 4. So Jim Hill, he was the first cab off the rank, and he won. So oh, all he? of a sudden... That's a single skull? Single skull. Yeah. So um, all of a sudden we had a winning crew. And um, <clears throat> I think the Lawrence brothers were second off. And um, <clears throat> they came second, and then we were the third crew to go. And uh, <clears throat> away we went. And, and we, by that stage, we could actually really fly out of the, the blocks, and so could Australia, we found out right at the very start, that we? Well, I knew that we were in for a battle. So um, <clears throat> away we went, and the wind on the, the strokes on your recovery you're getting it both ways. You know, power through the water, that's pretty hard in a good day. But if you've got wind against you on the recovery, well, that just doubles the workload on that side of the boat. So, um, <clears throat> and the Australian four, they got out in front and um, and Doug, he kept yelling at me. He said, that they're getting away on this. We're going to have to pick it up. And I thought, I knew with the wind that we had to hold the sprint because the finish was going to be where it would all come from. So anyway, we ploughed up the course and we um, we got to the 500 and Doug, I, he was screaming at me, he said, we're two behind. And I thought, two lengths behind? Boy, we'd never gone that fast in our life before. So anyway, I said, right, we'll go. <clears throat> and away we went. And bit by bit, we started to pull them back and he was screaming. <clears throat> I think we had 200. 200 to go, and he said, you got 200, you're going to have to all out, and we did. And we went over the line with the with the bow ball in front, and that was it. Oh, so, um, and boy, was the tank empty, and we we had to sit up, and you were gasping, your whole body was just on fire, and we didn't know whether we were first or second, and the other crews, they weren't even basically in the in sight. And that was the Palms, the Canadians. Um, I forget who the other crews were, but we'd just completely and utterly left them behind. But anyway, the board came up and, and we'd won. So um, we got ashore and, and of course, you know, it, it's, it's just a euphoric moment. You know, it's pretty hard to try and recall it and put it into words that you can speak about it 60 years later. But... Um, it was just a, an incredible occasion. So um, <clears throat> the upshot of all that, of course, um, we then, they didn't line side by side. We lined four aft. So I was the only guy really in the photo, which, you know, was really, really sad because at least today everybody that's in that boat deserves mm. their share of, the, um, <clears throat> of standing in front of the camera. So they have remedied that. And um, we um, were presented with our medals. The um, Duke of Edinburgh, he'd, <clears throat> he'd followed the race in the boat and um, he, we, they held it up and he presented the, um, the trophies to us. So we got to shake his hand. Oh, that's so, so um, you met the Duke of Edinburgh? Yeah, oh. yeah. <clears throat> so, um, and I think that's why we get the invitation to um, do that, um, defend the Prince Philip Cup. But anyway... Um, <clears throat> 
we um, we finally got that. We got our medals, and and mine was misgraved, <laughs> missing grade. So, um, but we were so excited, we never even looked at that. And um, <clears throat> we um, then the next job was to pack the boat, get all the riggers off, get the boat into the packing case, get all the oars in the packing case, and then it was lookout nurse and. Um, there were, there were a lot of Kiwis there and, and um, <clears throat> some real hard case guys from New Zealand had a Volkswagen car and they came over and said, right, you guys, get on the car, we're going to the Raffles pub. And the Raffles pub was only round the corner. <clears throat> we drove straight up the steps, through the front door, straight <laughs> up to the bar and they, they, they stopped at the bar and they said, you poor and we'll pay. Well, what an afternoon. Wow. Did you take your medals with you? Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, they were hanging around. Any <laughs> mean no way we were not going to have those medals on. So um, the the eight. When did they row? Was it afterwards? They rode after. Yeah, yeah, well, they rode so, after us. Right. And um, so, so you were celebrating. And, yeah. And no, 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 no. We were witnessed the um, the eight. Right. And the double skull. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, I know that, that all this took place after the whole event had finished packing the boats. And oh, okay. Because you couldn't um, you couldn't do that with the crowd that was there because the whole show was chock a block with people. And ironically, my sister had actually won a raffle ticket for a trip to the um, to the games. Right. So she was there. So right. she was a bit excited. Oh, that's awesome. Somebody keep an eye on you. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> well, she was a bit far away. So how did the eight and the double skull go? And the eight got second, yeah. and um, and that was a real kick in the slats um, to New Zealand rowing in a way because they were the first of the composites, and that was going to be the way forward. So we were. I think um, I th- think they thought that we wouldn't make it, <clears throat> but um, you know, as I said, Rusty Robertson was no slug. He knew what he was doing, and we had been so so well tuned, and we're all in sync, the whole five in the boat. And Doug Pullman was just absolutely incredible, and um, ironically, uh, <clears throat> he was the first of us to die. He was the youngest in the crew, but. Um, Doug got um, cancer after the World Championships in 60, um, when we had the World to Carapiro, not very long ago. And um, I stayed with um, with Doug and, and Jean and uh, <clears throat> Laurie Byers, who was one of the um, one of the, the road riders in the New Zealand track team, uh, in, in the New Zealand road team. And he came down and, um, and we stayed with Doug and Jean out at um, their house. And of course, that was hilarious because we got on every night. We'd have a couple of beers and a barbecue and tell lies amongst each other. <laughs> so, um, and also um, a very good mate of mine, um, Peter McCauley, and he was a university blue. So the four, four of us would we just had a great time together. But anyway, that's a bit of an aside. So um, we um, we then. The games were over for us, so um, every night you could um, you could go to the dining room and just go down to the gate, and it was a continual stream of cars, and you just picked the best looking boots and jumped in the car, and they took you all over Perth. So uh, we, we genuinely, <laughs> yeah, no, we were um, we were really treated like royalty, and um, you never paid for a drink if you had anything on that had New Zealand on. With the games team emblem, you were just that was it. So, um, so it was an experience that um, not too many people get, which is a bit sad. But I dare say the prize t- 
to get it is pretty tough anyway. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so that really was the games, and of course, New Zealand performed very, very well right across the board. That that was the cusp of where we were going to go as a, an international nation of of sport and all um, competitive track and field and right bike riding, the whole nine yards fencing. So um, that that was basically that. So then it came the the finale, and of course we finally we packed up and um, flew back to New Zealand, and of course we'd been on the turfs basically from the day we finished. So you can imagine we weren't all together the brightest little buttons that <laughs> got back into New Zealand. And, but you um, did have some gold medals with you. Well, we did have those, Gary. Yes, thank goodness. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so we came when we had a night in Auckland, and that turned out to a disaster as well. And then we finally got in the plane back for Amaru. And, of course, in those days, South Pacific Airlines was the um, the then airline that flew into Amaru Airport. And they had um, big windows in, in an old DC-3. So um, <clears throat> that was quite an occasion as well to um, come in. So we, um, we got on the plane overhung, not feeling too bright, and the... Um, Pilot came over the um, out loudspeaker. He said, "We're going to do a victory circuit over the town, over Amaru, <laughs> over Amaru." Oh wow, fantastic! So of course that straightened the thinking up a bit. And I thought, "Church, if we're doing a victory over the town, what's it going to be like when we get to the town?" Because we had a pretty fair idea that obviously um, the town would have been a bit excited the telegrams and stuff that we'd got. So we landed in Omru and there's only half a dozen cars or ten or twelve cars there, and I thought, oh, so um, so it was our parents and our girlfriends and whatnot. They were at the airport, and and that was all was there, and um, and my girlfriend Susan, she um, she said it's going to be a bit of a reception when you get into town. <laughs> well, that was an understatement. <clears throat> I just couldn't believe that what was going to happen when we got into town, but. Um, we, um, I think we were in, we were in, we weren't in open cars, but um, they started lining the streets at Waitaki Boys High. There were people on the road, and, and we were sitting there thinking, oh, "What is going on?" Going on? <laughs> and of course, by the time we got into the main street and down to the trees, the pipe band standing there, this whole town was just wall to wall with people. So that was um, that was the real wake up call that sharpen up lads because you can't be sitting here like a bunch of more books. <laughs> so away we went and we um, I forgot to tell you we had a civic farewell. Bill Laney gave us a farewell. He said, "You bring home the bacon. We'll have the um, we'll have the eggs," and um, and of course never really thought about that. But we're heading down to the opera house. Well, of course there, there were literally thousands of people on the main street in Omru, and of course, I don't know how many people can get into the opera house, but that was standing room only, and um, and they had speakers out in the street, so we got in there, and of course, then we had to make a public speech. Well, none of us were equipped for public speaking, so that became another major, major challenge as, as Bill stood up and he said, well, boys, you brought home the bacon, so here your eggs, and we got these little six-packs of those little China eggs. Oh, wow. Yeah, and sadly, nobody kept them because they would be a 
prized piece of kit in the rowing club to have yeah. one of these little packets of um, Omru's eggs as a result of bringing home the bacon from the Commonwealth Games. So um, so that really, that was the finale. So we, in turn, then we had to get up and make speeches and, of course, that was the next few weeks and then it was back to um, back to work. Mm. How do you go back to work after that? Like, I can't imagine... With extreme know. difficulty, um, Damien. Yeah. yeah, it was hard work. Well, it was hard work before and, of course, Tom Marks to my employers who were Wright Stevenson's. I was a, a um, trainee um, cadet with Wrighties. And of course, we because we were training, and um, I, I was the stock clerk. By the time we went there, and the sun used to shine through the window, and your head were down. I'd go to sleep on on the desk. And they never woke me up. Wow! I would just nod off, mm. and they realised, you know, how tough it was. So, um, <clears throat> top marks to right Stevenson, and I did work for them for many years after before I. Um, I transferred to another firm, but um, yeah. So, um, so that was just another magnificent part of um, the whole of the the Omru Four. Yeah, what a what a homecoming! Excellent. Well, it was. Yeah, yeah no, I I doubt very much whether you'd ever have had another homecoming like that since either, and certainly hadn't been one before that. But um, <clears throat> yeah, and we produced some great athletes. I was just thinking, um, you know, of yet another part, and of course this guy, he's no longer with us, but Wynne Perriam, he was a very, very good sprinter. And um, he, um, his life got cut short a bit early, but um, yeah. I think at Omaru we've had a lot of talented people. Like yeah. we've always punched above our weight and as a community. But I just think a lot of that, um, what you and Omru for and Rusty did for the community is, is made them believe that you could go on and do great things. And, um, of course, it wasn't just rowing. You played rugby. You pl- you tried your hand at tug-of-war for a one, one time. Oh, and, you should tell um, me about that. Yeah, tell us the tug-of-war story. You might as well, because there's a bit of history not many people know. Yeah, yeah well, of course, <clears throat> the tug-of-war story, um, that all revolved around the um, no licensing in Omaru. So all the grog that was drunk in Omaru came in by crate. Do you want to just explain, Gary, do you want to just explain what no licence, just, <laughs> there'd be people my age and younger have no idea what that means. So you could just tell us what that means, no licensing. It's a bit of history. Yeah, well, it is indeed. And it was, it was definitely an interesting period um, in the um, 1900s where, you know, people could vote for whether they wanted to have uh, prohibition or not in the area. And, um, you know, the, People of the day voted for prohibition. It was quite some time later before that came off, and um, so yeah, within the um, the borough boundary, at least you know you couldn't have any of these licensed premises. So um, so you weren't allowed to drink alcohol full stop, or were you allowed it in your house, or was it? Oh, look, I'm far too young to know the exact rules, but oh, well, uh, I'm sure one <laughs> can fill the gaps yeah. there. <laughs> I could fill in there. No, you certainly could have grog at home. Yeah. <clears throat> but you had to bring it in. So there was no retail outlet uh, for you to buy it. So yeah. you either drove to um, Pecuri, <coughs> to um, um, Georgetown or um, Waimati, <coughs> where they had wholesale grog in Waimati if you wanted spirits. So you could drive up there and get it. So my dad, he enjoyed a whiskey. So every um, few months we'd go up to Waimati to my uncle and auntie's and he'd, he'd fill his car up with his little tipple, so um, that was it. Is that where the six o'clock squirrel come from? No, that 
That came after. Oh, that, came <clears> after. that came after. Um, Once they reintroduced um, licensed premises and, and so on, but, yeah, they essentially block finish. And, um, yeah, basically you, you tried, you, you ended up with been drinking because people would finish work. They have to go and <laughs> have to drink as much as they could before the That was my closed. question. I wonder if that's the reason we have such a big well, drinking culture because you had to drink as much as you can in a short time. And then monkey see, monkey do. Definitely part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Without yeah. any doubt at all, yeah. <clears throat> because you were talking about playing rugby, and we used to play out at the showgrounds in the um, the centre of the showgrounds. And I noticed yesterday the soccer boys were all out there. So um, obviously that was yeah, a good day. A good for them. sport. They're good. Yeah. Good well, there was and a great turnout of, of soccer players. Yeah. So that was good to see. But we'd rush off the paddock and basically you rushed off the paddock, you shot into the change room, you never had a shower, you, you grabbed your clothes, you yanked them over the top, you ran out to your car, left them to drove like lunatics to get to um, out to Georgetown and as long as you made Georgetown before 6 o'clock and got in the door, you were right. Oh. <clears throat> so um, and that was it. And the shower took place in the in the in the bars. They passed the glasses back over the crowd. <laughs> the the amount of spillage you came out of it, and then you were you'd had a beer shower. So um, that was all part of the culture of the day. So, and that was just another hard case part of life in North Otago. So you'll have somebody else that'll be um, interviewed one day that'll tell you some of the disasters as a result of that. But what it was leading up to. The um the bottle was a bloke called Charlie Green, and Charlie Green became a great supporter of the rowing club, and he decided that his way of of helping the rowing club raise funds, <clears throat> we would be his main main bottle collectors. So there would be a bottle collection every um every um six months, and of course, we got part of the um proceeds from the bottles, and uh, <clears throat> old Charlie um. He decided we needed to take a wee bit of pressure off all our trading and maybe we should um, <clears throat> do something a bit different. And he was right into tug of wars and he had a proper tug of war, the whole electronic system. So we started having um, at the show, we um, we had tug of wars and um, and all of a sudden Charlie, he said, you know, these guys are pretty sharp, Rusty. I think we should challenge somebody outside the area. And anyway, um, Kay, uh, at Cave, um, which is a little town um, halfway between Fairley and Timaru, they had been up to um, the Bay of Plenty. I don't know who they um, they pulled against, but they were the New Zealand champion team, this team in the Bay of Plenty, and they won. So they were the national title holders of the Tug of War New Zealand. So Charlie, he teared it up. They were going up there one Friday <coughs> to... Uh, to go to this tug of war. Well, South Canterbury rolled into this hall and, of course, here we were. So there were the, <clears throat> the um, five of us that were in the crew. Uh, the Sorry, the four of us, and, and five-man team, and um, Graham Jones. Graham Jones, he was one of build, um, Rusty's builders and he had hands on him like a gorilla. If he grabbed you, that was it. You just didn't go anywhere. He just sat there and hung on and, and you just cringed. So he became the fifth man in, in our tug-of-war team. So anyway, they had a <clears throat> three or four um, pulls with um, local teams and then finally the big <laughs> the big thing of the night was this Omaru um, rowing crew. 
they were going to challenge our guys and, of course, they wasted their time coming up here. So we all get up on the stage and by this stage we'd trained. So we were reasonably good at what we were doing. And um, away we went. <clears throat> they dropped the flag and, of course, it's quite an art to be a good um, tug of war when you're chained and Charlie was an expert and we'd been trained how to hold your hands together and your knees lock them up and we pulled these guys straight off the board. So, of course, that, that really changed the tenor of the night. So the, the crowd thought that they were warming up the other guys. Well, I think we pulled them three straight, so that was the end of the night's tug of war. Oh, so three times in a row. Yeah, three oh, times wow. in a row. Yeah, yeah so, um, but that's just a little aside of, um, and that was, it was great, purely and simply to take your pressure off um, your training and whatnot. It was something yeah. that was different. Because, yeah, I mean, a lot of those muscles you need for rowing, I mean, the same ones, it's, it's yeah. those leg muscles, the, the, yeah. the forearm muscles and, and we so had, on. We had pretty, pretty good claws. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, no, very good. So, um, yeah, shame it wasn't a Commonwealth sport or an Olympic sport. You might have <laughs> yeah. got another medal. Yeah. So, yeah, well, we might well could have. Um, but anyway, so basically um, that was the end of the Omru 4 we we um we did row the next year and the last race we rode was at at Carapiro in in um, sixty three, I think sixty or it might have been sixty two, sixty three I think Lex said it was sixty three, and uh, <clears throat> we um we got beaten, and uh, it was the only time the crew as a crew raced that we just didn't gel on the day, and I'm sure we could have spun round and gone straight back down to the start and we were beaten by the team that then went on to the Olympics, so they were no sluggers. They were a pretty good rowing crew, and I'm sure we would have beaten them. And fortunately, I happened to have time. This is only a matter of a few weeks ago. I rang Keith up, and I said, Keith, I know you've shifted him from Western. Where do you live? I wouldn't mind coming round. I'm in Omru. So he said, well, we live. And it's such and such, I can't even remember what his street was. But anyway, so Jenny and him were there and, and we sat down and we started going back um, the old times and um, it was really fascinating because Keith and I had done quite a bit of hunting together and uh, he um, he's such a dry, well, he was such a dry, laconic guy and he was sitting there, he said, you know when, how many races we had? And I said, um, I'm just not really sure how many roasts we had, Keith. He said, we started 29 times, and he said, we had 28 wins. And he said, ironically, the last race was the only one we lost. So um, that's my story on the Omru 4. Yeah. No, it's amazing. And, and, you know, it's one of those achievements that – yeah, it will live on, and you know, it's something that we're all proud of. And you know, having you know, seeing the successes from the Omaru Rowing Club generally, you know, the the other you know gold medal winners that, that came out of the club of, and um, in future times and so on. It was you know, and we've got some you know, in recent times we've had some pretty good success there as well. Oh, and there's no two ways about that, Gary. Um, <clears throat> in fact, Lex Clark, he came up and went to the presentation um, for the end of the season this this year. And I'd never been able to put anything back into the Omru Rowing Club because I was transferred to Wangarei. And um, <clears throat> I came back down here and, and Owen Gould, 
he'd rang me up only a matter of a few um, weeks before, and he said, when he said, where are you? Can you come down to um, to Omaru? And I said, well, I'm actually um, I'm with your son and daughter-in-law, who was a niece of my wife, um, Alison. And uh, he said, oh, well, he said, when you when you finish there, you better come down here. So I did. Well, sadly, before I got here, Owen died. Mm. So that was an enormous kick in the slats, A, to Omaru rowing and um, Omaru, because another one of the um, the real characters of Omaru rowing, and he was an off- uh, a, a novice when I started. So I said to Damien and, Owen, uh, and um, Ivan, I said, look, you guys, you're going to have a bit of a gap here. And if I can be of any help to you, because I'm just in my motorhome and I chug around the country, I don't really have too many commitments. So if I can be of any help. So they took me under their wing and I've really had three months or four months, whatever I've had here to annoy the kids and annoy Ivan and um, Damien. So so it's been great for me to be able to put that back. And um, as I say, I had the... um, the pleasure of, of christening my own boat. And, um, you know, after 60 years, I thought that was quite a, quite a, a kudo. Yeah. You know, it, it, um, that brought tears to my eyes. I really struggled that night. So, oh, yeah. No. Great but, recognition. But I think it is. It's just what you did for Omer in the past and just coming back and being part of the, the club this season. And it's just, it's been fantastic. It's been great getting to know you, Win. Um, I have one last question for you before we wrap up the session. Um, just want to know, whatever happened, the, the town put together and bought that boat, I think I know the answer, the Omru 4 boat, what happened? Did that go into the New Zealand stocks? Did they row, Did you keep rowing? Or where is that boat now? The Omru 4 boat actually came back to Omru <clears throat> because it was Omru paid for the boat. It wasn't paid for by New Zealand rowing, so it was the property of Omru. And um, it became the racing boat for Omaru. And, of course, you look at that boat compared to the boats we race in today, the boat that I was lucky enough to christen, you know, one would be like a, um, a, a an intercity barge to a, um, a high-speed racing <laughs> machine. Yeah. So um, there's no comparison, but the, the Omaru 4, anybody who's down at the Omru Rowing Club and the doors are open, are welcome to go upstairs. There's magnificent photos of, of old crews and, and um, the old rowing club and whatnot. And up in the ceiling is the Omru 4. It's, um, and you look into the, you can see into the seats. And I stood there the other day and I thought, boy, <clears throat> I'd been lucky enough to get in this new four and had a row in that. And I thought... Man, if we'd only had a thing like that, the Australians wouldn't make halfway and we'd have cleaned them out. So, um, and that's really the major difference. But yeah, so it's and it's there as an inspiration to the young rowers that we've got today. And I'll touch on that now. Having had the um, the opportunity of spending time with young people, which I never had daughters. Um, we had two sons, and I've got a couple of granddaughters, but. I cannot get over the amount of noise that girls can make in a confined space together. So, um, and as if they can't generate enough noise, they have boomboxes that just add to the cacophony of noise. (laughs) And it just about drove me stark raving insane, but I I got used to it. And um, the good thing about it is that 
I was able to sit there and maybe through some of the little tidbits that I could pass on, and I got cards on Friday night at, at the um, at the end of seizing. It really brought tears to my eyes. I really sat down when I opened them at home, and obviously it it did something for some of these kids. And as I said, that I'm, the only thing that stops you being a champion is you. If you've got a head, you've got a heart, and if you smile. And if you think back to your life, you look at the signposts and the signposts of life, basically everybody will be different, but your mum and dad normally will be your first and then maybe one of your bosses at work and then um, maybe your coaches. And, of course, in our case, the, the to have Rusty Robertson was just something out of this world. So for the people that listen to the pod, thank you very much for putting up with me. If you turned it off, well, good on you. You have a great year. Thank you for the opportunity. When it's been our pleasure, and thank you for coming on. You've just given us such a great snapshot into a bit of local history. And, yeah, it's just been an honour having you. Gary, the last words are all yours. Oh, look, yeah, you know, it's wonderful. You know, you, you, we know some of the stories and so forth of what happened and so on, but actually understanding how they happened and the people involved, is, it's so valuable. And for the young people, uh, these young rowers and so on, for example, you know, being able to see what can be achieved and, and actually being able to talk to the people, you know, that, that is so special. So thank you very much for your time, Wynne. It's been really great. Oh, no, it's been a pleasure to actually be here. <clears throat> I just hope I get a copy of the pod because I've got some grandkids that are most likely to be quite chuffed to hear it too. Well, <clears throat> I'll make a copy before you leave so you, and put it on a wee USB for it so you'll have that one, but you can't release it until we've released the official oh, no, one. That, um, no Otherwise, we'll hunt you down. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, North Otago, tune in next week for next time on North Otago Legends, up-and-comers and a little bit of history.